which, okay, as you must have heard, <laughs> um, I'm going to read Matthew 27, wait, oh, wait, okay, Matthew 27, um, the, sh the soldiers mocked Jesus. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium. Oh, I don't know how to pronounce that. Okay. Um, and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put, on a and put a scarlet robe on him and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff on his right hand and then knelt in front of him. And then they knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail King of, Ju Hail King of the Jews, they said. Then they spit on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. After they mocked him, they took off the robe and put on his own clothes on him. They, then they led him away to crucify him. The crucifixion of Jesus. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene. I don't know how to pronounce it. I think yeah, I, okay, I, spelled it, I pronounced it right. Um, named Simon. Then they forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golf, Golgotha, which means place of the skull where they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gal. After tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots and sitting down. They kept watch over him there. Over his head, they placed a written charge against him. This, this said, this is Jesus, king of the Jews. Two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by, her, by hurled at assaults at him shaking their heads and saying, you, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now and from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God let God rescue him now if, now if he wants him. For he said, I'm the son of God. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified him also heaped insults at him. The death of Jesus. From noon until three, afternoon the, from noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice. I don't know how to pronounce that, so I'm just going to say, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard, he heard this, they said, He's calling Elijah. Immediately one of them ran and got a sponge, filled it with wine vinegar, and put it on a staff, and then offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes down to save him. Then when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. Thank you. Thank you so much, my baby girl, Michelli. She's not, she's not a baby anymore, 12 years old. It's Passion Week, and we have been tracing Jesus, heading to the cross. And this week, I have the privilege and honor of talking about the crucifixion of Jesus. I got a little poetic. I got a little bit poetic. It happens from time to time. And so if you'll indulge me, I wrote a little something. And so I just want you to sit back and we're going to start this with a little, a little reading and kind of frame what we'll be doing for our next 25 minutes together. 
So I also put it to music to make it more inspiring. So Ron hit it. Listen. The noise of an almost riot rises on the horizon. You can barely see its source in the distance, just outside the city. Let's cautiously and quietly go there now. This is not a clean place, not a space fit for a king's final moments. It's a piece of land scarred with the cruel creations of an ancient empire. Blood-stained poles and nail-pocked beams, tools of public torture, testimonies to judicial savagery, the disfigured bodies of the damnati, men deemed dangerous and disobedient to Rome, hang naked, suffering social and psychological death long before tasting the sweetness of physical death. Come closer if you can. Elbow and squeeze through the crowd to the no man's land near the spectacle of death. Sit for a moment in the shadow of the cross and close your eyes. Listen. What is Jesus struggling to say? What half-suffocated words push from his failing lungs take their broken shape over his parched vocal cords and escape his beaten lips. You can just hear them, choked as they are by the claustrophobic cacophony of Jerusalem packed in for Passover. Listen before they're lost to the cruel choruses of mockery, silenced by the savage soundtrack of Roman crucifixion. Jesus says so very little. Given the unimaginable grit and gravity of Messiah's final act, scorning the shame of the cross, bearing the weight of human sin, struggling to breathe, his silence is not a surprise. But listen. Listen as Jesus musters the physical and psychological power to speak. Let's listen on the edge of our seats Let's incline our ears, let's strain to lap up every last syllable. For as we sit in the shadow of the cross, we will hear those precious last words. Those windows into that which is coursing through the consciousness of Christ. That last pouring forth from the ultimate priorities of this humble king. This morning... Together, let's listen. All right, that's it. So there's my poem. <laughs> Nothing like a pastor taking advantage of the pulpit to like write poetry when he's really not a poet. <laughs> but it is so good to be with you. And I just started writing and I just started thinking about this week. And one of the beautiful challenges of being entrusted with a space like this, in a microphone like this, one of the beautiful challenges is I'm about to talk about something of such cosmic eternal significance, something that speaks about humanity and us so profoundly, and something that is written in inspired literature 
And now I'm going to talk about it to folks and try to, like a curator in a museum, walk us to the portrait and not get in the way of the art, not get in the way of the majesty of what is there, but to, I pray, highlight and point out and maybe focus in for but a moment on one part of the mural. And so this morning, my, my heart is to listen, is to listen to those last words of Jesus. Those last syllables, those final annunciations of Jesus of Nazareth. What does he say? What is captured and placed in the treasury of the gospel stories? And so that's what I want to look at and just reflect together on the significance, because as, as we all know, when someone knows they are at their last moments and they are lucid, you are listening to what is going to be said, because they are not going to waste time with things that are not coming from the epicenter of who they are. And so that's what we're going to listen to today. And, and so I want to take us on a little journey around the words of Jesus in the Gospels. And I want to, my beautiful daughter read us the entire passage for today. And we're going to circle back at the very end to the final lines of that passion narrative. But I want to start in Luke's account of Jesus, Luke's biography of Jesus of Nazareth, his gospel, and some of the last things said in this moment. And my little poem highlights a couple items. As a historian, I'm always thinking about, uh, I always encourage my students, and a couple of them are here. By the way, one of my students, D, D right over here, wave your hand, D, D, works for Young Life, and I want to say, come meet him after the service. Let's support his ministry. Let's get behind him. This is one of the best and brightest Biola uh, has, has uh, been blessed to, to have with him. So we're excited. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> we're so honored to have you here. Um, and, and I blew your name earlier. What was your name one more time? Kirsten. I did it again. Herson, okay, okay. There's a lot of letters flying at me in the conversation, okay? Herson, a Biola student as well, and an incredible dude. So, Herson, yeah, we're excited to have you here. And so I'm always telling my students, I'm saying, use your historical imagination. Try if you can, in the same way that translators of the New Testament will have to do rigorous grammatical work and translation work to get words from, in this case, Greek into English, we also have to do historical translation and try to understand the moment. Crucifixion would be nothing surprising to an ancient audience in the Roman Mediterranean. It was not a weird thing. It wasn't even a special event. It was a very common public piece of the furniture of this ancient city. Outside the city, you would see folks dying. Sometimes it'd take a whole week for them to die on uh, of exposure, of hunger and thirst sometimes, and of suffocation at other times. And so the ancient audience would hear this and know this, and what is Jesus, as he's struggling to breathe under immense stress, what is he going to take those precious moments to do? I get what my wife calls man-sick. Anyone ever heard of being man-sick? 
All right, so a couple of people. Man sick is when you're sick and you're really not that sick, but you're like, honey, I'm going to die. Bring the children to my side. Write what I say now. I get man sick. I think my dad gets man sick. My mom and dad are here too. We probably both get man sick. I got it from him. It's his fault. <laughs> and so... <laughs> And my painful moments, I don't want to say anything. If it's really serious, I'm just laying there going, "Ah." and Jesus takes some time. And I want to look at this in in Luke chapter 23. Jesus, what do you have to say from the heights of the cross? Naked, exposed, and struggling to breathe, abandoned, betrayed, as we looked at last week, as Todd reminded us emotionally killed before being physically killed, relationally crucified before being physically crucified. Jesus, what have you to say? This is in Luke 23, 32. Two other men, both, what's the term? The term is lesti, which basically means criminals, insurrectionists, generally political enemies of Rome were also let out with him to be executed. They came to the place called the Skull, Golgotha. They crucified him there along with the Lestai, the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Verse 34, Jesus said to this whole cruel carnival, faces which he took part in creating eons ago, if we believe the scriptures about Jesus. The very hill that he had a hand in making, the very trees that he designed in his creative majesty that are now being used to hang him to death. Jesus looks at all of it. And what does he say? Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. Luke doesn't even spend a lot of time here. But I do want to say this. What pours forth from Jesus in his moment of post-betrayal, present beating and suffering, and in the ancient Mediterranean world, facing public shame, which would be worse than pain, it's a word of forgiveness over us. A word of forgiveness for those that, uh, humanity that has betrayed him. Talk about like the black hole of violence, the darkest corner of human history, where the very creator of the universe comes downstairs and dwells with us and we kill him. We don't even usher him off to an island in exile. We kill him. The machines of human priorities and empires and frailties and rebellion and fallenness combine to surround and crush him. This is what we do. If I'm the creator, I say, forget this. I'm going to throw this this world into a black hole and go to another dimension and create some beings that won't be such jerks, to put it really nicely. And what does Jesus muster the energy and courage and breath to say? It's a word of forgiveness. And so I think about my life and I think about our lives. First of all, to say this, take a look at this giant body of water 
and these gorgeous clouds and this temperate Goldilocks environment where it's not too hot, not too cold, it's just right. And I say, thank you, God, for forgiveness. Can we just give a hand to God for the fact that he forgives us for a second here? I mean, seriously, forgiveness? And if you haven't stepped into it, if you're on the fence, you're looking over the fence at Christianity, going, what are these weirdos doing? You came to the right place because you could leave if it gets weird. It's really easy exits everywhere. But if that's where you're at, I want to tell you one of the most audacious claims we make as followers of Jesus is that forgiveness is real, it's profound, and it's paid with God himself, with Jesus Christ dying for us. That's ridiculous. That's crazy. And so some of you are walking around with shame going, man, I just, I, I know God forgives me, but he leaves like that, like five feet. I got to cover my own ground. I got to make that connection. And I screwed up this week. So now it's six feet. Now it's seven feet. And I want you to hear this. Forgiveness is on the lips of Jesus for you, for me. And take the other side of that. If you're holding something this Easter season, if there is a deep hurt, a family ouchie, if someone that has betrayed you, that has cheated you and wronged you, and at a moment where you needed them, they turned their backs on you, or they worse, they spoke ill and toxic junk about you, and you're angry, and you won't forgive them. And this could even be people that are no longer with us. This can be folks that you knew in eighth grade. I don't know what it is. I don't know where it is, but I want you to hear the words of Jesus on the cross saying, forgive them. This is a season of forgiveness where we can, if God can do it, we can do it. Open our hands and say, I no longer hold this. Clutching that resentment and thinking it's going to give you a power and fearing that if you open your hand, it gives them a power and they win is answered on the cross. No, no forgiveness. It's powerful. Hopscotch over if you want to, or you can listen as the ancient gospels were originally consumed by most folks, was through listening, hourly, hearing. I want to now hopscotch to John, the, late, the last gospel to be written. John's gospel. Two or three verses in John's gospel, the last minutes of Jesus. And let's think for a minute about the cosmic significance of what Jesus is doing, about the eternal grandeur of what he's up to, how important the work he's doing is for millions and millions and billions of humans, for this planet itself. I mean, it's a really big job and a really dramatic, huge act. So what does he spend his last moments of breath doing? Forgiving, we saw that. And check this one out. John 19, verse 25. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, it's one of his disciples, probably John, we think, he said to her, Woman, which is a term of endearment. Woman, here is your son. And the disciple, he said this, here is your mother. From that time on, the disciple took her into his home. Wait a minute, Jesus, you have like bigger fish to fry. 
You have giant obstacles that you have to transcend to solve the deepest problem of war and death and toxic humanity. And you're going to call time out in all of that with what is like your battery is at 1% right now. And you're going to make a quick call and say, hey, mom, I want to make sure that you, a widow, and now her oldest son is dying. I want to make sure you're okay. I'm sorry to get emotional, but it's like, I want to make sure you're okay. He takes the last seconds of his life for something as seemingly, I mean, it's important, but come on, about as, as importance is, is measured. That doesn't seem like that much. But notice the priorities of Jesus. He wants to make sure that a woman, his mom, is okay. And then he leaves, and she's going to be okay. That's so beautiful. Have you ever walked into a room and forgot why you came into the room? I don't know if I've mentioned this. I'm 40 now. I forget to say it sometimes. Barb has to remind me a lot. Like, you got to say it. I'm 40 now. It happens a lot more than it used to. Like, you just walk in with all the purpose and diligence, and I'm in the garage, and I'm like, what am I doing here? Why did I go down? And I always think, is this the beginning? That's why I always go. Is this, is, is this the first point that on my timeline of dementia, we're going to point to that moment and go, that's where I knew it started. Like, it's always a weird moment. Or like, if you're, you got to set a timer on your phone and you put some, I don't ever do this, but a brownies in the oven. My wife is good at that stuff. I'm not. Um, the oven scares me. Put the brownies in the oven and go, you know, you're supposed to open up your phone to set the timer. And there's a text and it's a stupid gif or something or like a meme or whatever. And then you check an email and then you turn off your phone after wasting half an hour of your life. You'll never get back doing nothing at all. And then you start smelling like, what is that smell? It's kind of good and it's kind of scary too. And then there's smoke emanating and that's, oh yeah, I forgot to set my timer. Like I forgot why I was here. I forgot what I was doing on my phone. I think on, in terms of human existence, right? Like, what's the purpose? Why are we here? What are we up to? Those of us that, are, that follow Jesus, uh, we, we, we've been given this grand purpose. Like, we believe that the true purpose of humanity, to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves, and to let that love as defined by Christ, as modeled by Christ, be why, the why, the big all caps why of our lives. And then what happens? We walk into the garage of life and we forget what we're here for, right? And we start like getting involved in all these like secondary things. Like let's, let's get mad about politics all the time or let's focus on longevity. Like how many of us think about, I, I'm 40 now, I think about longevity. Like how can I get another, let's go, let's go 50 more years. Like give me at least 50 more. We focus on body image, right? We focus on Money, we focus on like dopamine release, just keeping ourselves happy as much as possible, maximizing the exciting, titillating trips that we could take. And nothing wrong with taking good trips, nothing wrong with all that, but it's just not why we went into the garage of life. It's not the purpose. <gasps> Mustache maintenance, it becomes a really big part of my life, right? It's important and it is of internal significance, but we forget. And uh, for me, just a small testimonial as I think about Jesus and his priorities of making sure that families are taken care of. Making sure a family is taken care of. Making sure a vulnerable person is not left vulnerable. 
Um, I'm passionate about orphans. Passionate. Bray and I have been since we were, it's just something God put on our heart. And you know how passions go. You, you follow them. If they're God-given, you pursue them. And we you know, became foster parents and all that stuff. And it's amazing and adopted our littlest through that. And just, it's so good. And then we had, a, we had kind of a hard, a really hard reunification separation with one of our little guys. And it broke us. It just broke our faith. It was so hard. And it's still so hard. And we kind of, then COVID hit immediately. It was like right after. And we sort of cocooned as a family together and, and healed and sought healing. And then we had the blessing a year ago, almost exactly a year ago, to, to be able to uh, buy a house and a fixer-upper and be able to do a live-in remodel for almost a nine to ten months of a live-in remodel, right? And the goal was we want this house to be a home for babies. We want our, like my daughter, Michelle, she is the most incredible foster sister you'll ever, ever, ever meet. And a great babysitter if you need babysitter. And her heart for these babies, my son, Brixton, and, and little Zion now, and and we want to do that, and then you get lost in, like, hardy backer flooring and saltillo tile and, like, floorboards and baseboards. And how much is that going to cost? Are you kidding me? What is it made of gold? I say that a lot about things. <laughs> and it's kind of been weird because so much time away from it, I know I have this passion, and I know it's a calling. And it's not just for our family. I really believe this, and I know there are my people in the audience the crew here that, that share this, I actually believe the South Bay can be an epicenter of care for orphans. I believe it's a sleeping giant that can truly be mobilized in a non-extreme burnout way, but in a beautiful, organic way to care for the most vulnerable and forgotten parts of our society. Google, or go in the LA Times or any newspaper, Google foster children and watch how many articles come up maybe three or four this year. And they're all kind of gnarly sort of clickbait pieces. Google masks and see how much comes up. Google Gavin Newsom. Google, I mean, Google anything else. And it's just a flood of things like critical race theory. Google it and just, oh my gosh, this is it. And I'm telling you, I'm not saying we shouldn't have conversations about all those things. What I'm trying to say is like, I think there's a sleeping giant here. But what's been so scary to me is being away from this quote-unquote action, being off the front lines of it. You kind of fear like, I start getting distracted by the other stuff. Maybe, maybe God's called our family to just kind of be a maximized family of just South Bay dream greatness. And we're just going to be so, it's just going to be so good and well manicured. And in this week, Sunday night, I had this dinner with some people. I won't name their names because they would rebuke me. But hearing their story, and I was asking about it, you got to pry it out of them, of investing multiple decades, every Saturday, going to a neighborhood in a really difficult part of Los Angeles where kids have very, very little. And they, I love the title of what they ended up calling it. It was an informal title. It was BTN. Not like TBN, but BTN, better than nothing. That was their philosophy. We're just going to show up every Saturday. We're not trained in this. We don't have any special resources other than our tutoring and our love. We're just going to show up. And they just showed up every Saturday, week after week after week after week after week. And then generations, and they're on now to third generation. 
and the stories that come out of that little obedience of saying, I want to make sure that families are taken care of. I want to make sure the vulnerable are cloaked in love and not silenced or forgotten. It moves. It moves mountains. It's a beautiful thing of just obedience. Then I met with this guy from Foster the City, another organization that wraps around foster families. Haven't thought a lot about foster care in a little while. And he was also a foster dad. And we spent time talking about it and kind of crying about it and hearing about what God could do. And then last night, I go to this party. It's like a, a fundraiser slash dinner about this organization called Acres of Love. Acres of Love. And it's a South African-based, brilliant and practical and huge-hearted way of caring for a whole generation that's been lost parents that's been lost to AIDS and their orphans left over, a whole generation of them. And this organization moves them into the rich part of town. They buy property in the rich part of town where resource accessibility is there. And they literally take care of these, they create these like surrogate families. And they take care of them and support them start to finish, post-graduation, into the world. It's and Bray and I are in the back. It's crowded in this backyard at Vishun's house. If you've ever been invited to a party with Mia and Francois, you go. If she invites you somewhere, it is like going into Disneyland with access, all access passes. It's amazing. And we're in the kitchen, like snot crying. Just like, because it was like, it was like God. And it wasn't sadness. It wasn't obligation. It wasn't a feeling of like, oh, I've been a bad boy. It was that overwhelming reminder of like, oh, wait, that's right. That's why I went into the garage. That's what it was about. And you just, you're awakened and reminded. And here Jesus, in his last moments, I want us all to be awakened and reminded. Taking care of vulnerable widows and orphans, James 1.27, is pure and undefiled religion. If you're wondering about, is my religion pure and undefiled? Is the River Church pure and undefiled? If our priorities beat along with Jesus's, they're going to care for those on the margins that are left out. And so check writing becomes a lot easier. Carving out Saturday mornings becomes a lot easier. Even praying, young couples and empty nesters, God, what, what do you have for us in this next 10 years that involves orphans, widows, and those on the margins? It's a dangerous prayer, by the way. It's a dangerous and exciting prayer. The last piece, Matthew 27, 46. Jesus in his last words, what does he spend them on? And this is in the, in the extreme. This is where body systems are failing. And if you've been with someone who's passed and you kind of see that moment, you see it as it's coming and it becomes pretty increasingly obvious that the passing is happening. And Jesus, how does he process the pain? What does he do with it? How does he endure it? He says this, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani. I remark, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He processes his pain quoting scripture. Psalm 22. It's on his lips and in his consciousness at that last spark of life as it leaves. He's so soaked and full of the sacred traditions of the house of Israel, of the songbook of Israel, of the Torah, of the teaching, 
of God's word. He's so full of it that when you poke him, scriptures come pouring out of him. Um, I want to, Michelle, could you come here and help me real quick, baby girl? Could you grab the picture? I want to show you a picture. Um, and as she comes up, I want to be full of scripture, people. I started this thing when I was in, uh, a new, on the New Year. It's just like, this is my way. I don't know what your way is going to be. This is my way. I started listening to scripture more. I started just hitting play on Psalm 1. Every morning, I just hit play on, and I kind of, wherever I leave off, I just go from it. And then I go bareback surf uh, for five waves. Just kind of do a Viking thing. But it's this whole protocol that keeps me in the scripture, and it's easy, and it's my first contact. Not email, not news, not any of that stuff. It's just hit Psalms. And, um, and what I've experienced, you can keep it covered for one second, it'll be a grand reveal. Thank you, my love. Um, what I've discovered has begun to happen is, like, first of all, my perspective is, like, lifted. I see the world, I see the circumstances that it could easily get, like, golem, like, this is terrible. Oh! And all of a sudden, you see the grander picture, and you see what is lamentable. You see what is praiseworthy. It's, like, been amazing, and it's just kind of filled my life. And so I just want to say, be creative. Get yourself in the word. I want to show you a picture. Now, can you hold this up? This is my grandpa. This is my mom's. My mom's here right there. My mom's like, go ahead. Here, let me do this. Got it. This is my grandfather right here. Grandpa Harris. Bill Harris. Um, there you go. There he is. He's on his way right there to go fight in World War II head up in the Pacific. He's holding down there now. Thanks, baby girl. And um, I took this off the wall in my house, by the way. My wife's like, don't break it. Like, okay, <laughs> I wanted you to see him though. My grandpa, I've talked about him before. I've talked about him a lot, but it's like one of those things imprinted on my memory and on my consciousness. Uh, my grandfather, he loved the word of God. He just loved it. He loved old King James too, but don't give him no new stuff. He wants that King James. And I remember like one of my memories as a kid is like, you know, he, he was kind of balding in his older age and a younger age. He balded kind of early. I, Love that man. I want every attribute of his. Maybe not that, but every other attribute. And, um, and I remember he'd sit on his couch and he'd have his big old Bible. And he'd have a washcloth on his head. I don't know why he'd put one to keep his head warm. <laughs> and he'd just read it. And we'd go out for a number of hours and come back and he'd just be sitting there reading it. With all the joy you could possibly imagine in this tank of a man. Six foot four, giant wrist, giant navy dude, gentle, gentle giant. So full of scripture. And I'll never forget seeing him on the hospital bed in his last week of life. And this is like come full circle to those last moments. What comes out of you? What oozes from your soul in those last moments? And I'll never forget, my grandpa is sitting there. My grandma is a worrywart, sweet, short lady who is just trying to get my grandpa to eat. Like, you got to eat. You got to eat. You remember, remember that generation, right? Like, eating was everything. Like, I have terminal cancer. Just eat something. It'll be better, right? And so she's trying to get him to eat. She's trying to get him to eat. My grandpa's just sitting there going, oh, he's coming in and out of consciousness. He goes, I'm so full. I'm so full. And she goes, what are you full of? You haven't eaten. He goes, I'm full of love. I'm full of love. He kept repeating it. Like, again, he'd go black out again. Wake up. I'm full of love. That man was so full of it that he didn't have to conjure up a show for his last moments. Lord, into your hands I commit my spirit. Here I go, Jesus. It's just what he is as a reflex bringing out of him. Why? It didn't happen in a moment of inspiration. It happened on that couch with that washcloth on his head, bathing in scripture, living out of scripture, loving people through it. 
And the last words, my mom was with them. I wasn't there. The last thing he says, I see Jesus. Let me go. I see him. And I go, you guys, he died penniless. He had a, he had a finances were not his thing. He lived the richest possible life I could dream of living. And when I see Jesus on the cross in his last moments, and I listen and say, what are you saying, Jesus? Like, that's what I, I want to listen to. So that's my grandpa. And that's our, our Jesus on the cross. Let's listen to him this season. Thank you so much, Mitchell, for coming up here. And I'm going to close in prayer. Lord, and we're going to do some more worship. And uh, Rachel is going to lead us through as we think about Jesus on that cross. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you spent your last words not even on yourself, forgiving us. You spent your last words caring for your mom who was a widow and exposed socially and economically. You cared for her so deeply. Let us be those kind of people. And Lord, you sang the scriptures from your bleeding lungs. Lord, I want to soak in them. I want to saturate in them. I want to be so full of your truth that it gushes forth in love. And thank you, in Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you stand as we get to end our, our time together in worship? Purchase and redeem. 
child, the very ones who nailed him to that tree. And oh, that rugged cross, my salvation, where your love poured out over me. Now my soul cries out, paid in full by the precious blood that my Jesus spilled. Now the curse of sin has no hold on me. Whom the Son set free, now is free indeed. Oh, my debt is paid. It is paid in full. By the precious blood that my Jesus spilled, now the curse of sin has no hold on me. When the sun sets free, oh, is free indeed. Oh, that rugged cross, my salvation, where your love poured out. My soul cries out, hallelujah, praise and honor unto thee, praise and honor unto thee, praise and honor unto have you done murdered for me on that cross accused in absence of wrong my sin washed away in your blood too much to make sense of it all I know that your love breaks my fall Scandal of grace, you died in my place that my soul will live. Oh, to be like you, give all I have just to know you. Jesus, there's no one beside you. Forever the hope in my heart. Sing that again. Jesus 
sacrifice, remembering his love. So we'll do that to end our service, and I'll play a couple more choruses, um, but take that in your own time. Take that time to ask God the places that he wants you to forgive, the people that he wants you to forgive, the places where you need to ask for forgiveness as we're preparing to celebrate him this Easter. Let us meet with him in communion. Amen. Go in peace. Jesus, there's no one beside